everyone enjoyed their lunch. <laughs> All right, so um, before we begin the Q&A, I would just like to announce uh, the upcoming SACPA sessions. Uh, so Thursday, October 31st, um, uh, Dylan uh, Purcell will be talking about whether or not we should be worried that video and board gaming comics, superheroes, and Halloween are going in, growing into multi-billion dollar industries. Uh, so that's a very applicable topic for Halloween, and it sounds like a really good one. Um, also, on Friday, November 1st, um, SACPA is partnering with Art Now series um, to, um, with the presentation um, Killmonger at the Museum, what a Hollywood blockbuster can tell us about institutions these days. So that sounds like another great one. Um, the information for these are on your table, so please remember to look into those if you're interested in joining. Um, so I would like to invite Heather back up here to um, start the Q&A session. Um, just a reminder, only short topical comments will um, be accepted. Um, and a few respectful questions. We have half an hour, and there's lots I'm sure to discuss. Uh, so please feel free to come, come ask questions. All right. Terry Shillington is my name, and thank you very much for uh, walking us through that. Com I don't know. I know we need to go to the website and uh, figure it out properly. Uh, two questions, if I can um, sneak them both in. One is uh, I, your reference to men who don't get enough fruit and vegetables. It's just my unofficial, unscientific observation that men more than women are inclined not to eat fruits and vegetables and eat more carbs. Is there a biological basis for that, or is it just the perverse nature of males? Or that's the first question. Second is, I've heard a nutrition nutritionist describe iceberg lettuce as junk food, because there was no nutrition in it. Uh, out of the various kinds of lettuce, she was singling out iceberg lettuce. There was no nutrition in it, and it filled up the stomach where uh, you know so that other more nutritious foods couldn't reside. Two questions. Okay, thank you. Um, you know, men probably typically need more protein than women do, so that might be a factor. They tend to eat, they do tend to eat more protein-based uh, foods, and, and probably carbs too. They have a higher calorie requirement usually than women do. Um, but uh, it's a good question. I'm not sure why they don't eat as many vegetables and fruits, and I'm not sure if anyone's really done research on that. Um, but we probably don't promote as much to men too for those health messages, and we probably could do a better job of encouraging men to eat more vegetables and fruits in their diet. A lot of our messages too, I find, are promoted more to women, new mothers, that kind of thing, and I think we probably need to switch that culture a bit. You know, don't expect men to cook too. Um, we really should expect men to cook, so getting rid of those gender biases. And um, your second question, yeah. So there's more nutrients in a dark green leafy lettuce. Um, there'd be more folic acid, vitamin A. So, um, no, I, don't, I wouldn't say that iceberg lettuce is totally non-nutrient, but you will have more nutrients in things like spinach, spinach, romaine lettuce, kale. Um, it's richer in nutrients than you would get from iceberg lettuce. You're welcome. Bev Mundell-Atherstone, thank you very much for your talk. I'm happy to hear that, unlike uh, Canada Food Guides in the past, that this time there's no food industry intervention um, pushing beef dairy and sugar on us. What was missing from your talk was um, <clears throat> uh, the 
the cultural background of our of uh, of our eating, and that is drinking alcohol and eating dessert and snacks. Um, so I'd like to know how, because alcohol is made from grains, um, even though it has sugar in it, it is made from grains. And dessert, we can certainly make healthy snacks. That's one question. The other is um, vending machines in schools. I was just in Chinook High School the other day scrutineering for the election and noticed that um, they had all crap in the vending machines. They could have put in dried fruit and veggie chips. And the third thing, have you costed out what the Canada Food Guide would cost for an average person or an average family? Because it seems to me that a family on low income would not be able to afford the Canada Food Guide. Okay, thanks. I might need you to stay there just to repeat. <laughs> that was a lot for my brain to. <laughs> okay, so sorry, the first question. Um, the Alcohol and dessert. Oh, yes. Well, you know, I, I think dietitians have always said this, you know, everything in moderation. I think, though, what's happened is they're very readily accessible now. They probably weren't as readily as accessible as they were like years ago. And so we're just finding that Canadians are consuming more than what they should. Um, so having desserts like fruit would be a better choice than um, having your typical dessert of cake or ice cream, which I think we typically would see that in the Canadian diet. So Today we're having pie and ice cream. I know, I know. Um, so it's not a matter of elimination. And I think uh, we like to focus on more of the positive rather than the negative too. So the positive messages of trying to incorporate more of the healthy foods. <laughs> yeah. High school vending machines? Yeah, so there is a food policy um, with District 51 uh, to support healthier foods. Um, and I think that they've been working on that. They were working first on the parent population from what I understand, and now they're moving into uh, the actual school realm. It's, uh, it's difficult though too, I think with high school students in particular because they can leave the school premises. Um, they've had better success if they have a closed kind of campus kind of concept with enforcing some of those healthier food items, but we do have a lot of work to do there. We, ha we did do some work with the high school students uh, on the west side, the new high schools, uh, when they first uh, opened. Um, and they really did a great job, actually, of um, presenting to city council that they wanted healthier items. And they had their old school picket line, too, with their signs asking for healthier items. So if you do talk to the youth, they do want healthier choices. I think a lot of people misinterpret that they don't, uh, and that's what you'll hear from them. But I think education has a big role to play with it. And then adults being role models, too. We need to work on the adults to be good role models. Thank you. And then the cost, costing okay. out the food, because especially in the winter, <coughs> fruits and vegetables cost so much mm -hmm. in, in Canada. So have you costed it out, and would low-income families be able to afford this? Yeah, so that's a good question. And they actually um, uh, tried to incorporate that component into the new food guide with the emphasis that dried fruit and uh, canned, unsalted, unsweetened canned vegetables and fruits um, are good options, too. Um, which are lower in cost. And then we do do the cost of eating in Alberta, so we do price out a healthy, nutritious uh, basket. Um, it is difficult, though. You know, the food cost is usually the first one that they have um, some control over, and that's the one that gets often cut um, if people do uh, have difficulty affording food. Their rent and utilities usually trump food, so we do see that sacrificed. It's a good question. 
Hi, thanks for your talk, Karen Tui. Um, I think it would be useful for everyone to see those meals that you had up there. Maybe not see necessarily here because it's kind of faint uh, back in the room. Oh. Um, mm -hmm. So if you could say, okay, this steak dinner is swapped out for this, etc., so we can see and the, the comparison, that's one thing. And the second thing I wanted you to do was comment on the vegan diet that's very popular mm -hmm. these days. Thanks. Yeah, so I think these are sort of typical, and I hear this just in casual conversation from people, and I see this, you know, when I go to restaurants and see what people are choosing. Um, the poutine, the hot dogs, you know, even our schools still have hot dog days, fish and chips, and uh, people don't seem happy if they don't get that big plate of meat, <laughs> and they feel like they're getting less value for their dollar if they don't get that uh, big plate of meat. And the French fries are fairly cheap for the food industry to produce, um, so those typically get put on the plate. They're easy to prepare. It's harder and more expensive to prepare a salad too. So a lot of this is, um, you know, what will profit more too. So consumers though asking for this will have a huge impact in how the food industry changes um, what they're serving people. But we have to demand it. So yeah, it's nice to have these visualizations of what it would look like, and they're not hard things to do. So they're simple, like the stir fry with lots of vegetables, and then uh, brown rice, and uh, grilled chicken with a salad, and a whole grain bun, uh, fish, and just some you know frozen vegetables that are cooked with some rice again. So simple, easy meals, really. They're not difficult. But it is really changing kind of the way that we eat, too. Oh, it's a pita with cucumbers and tomatoes and um, carrot sticks and I'm not sure, it looks like just some cheese in there too for your protein and lettuce. Yeah, and a glass of milk, simple. Easy peasy. Did I answer your other question? What was your other question? The vegan, oh yeah. So yeah, they can be a healthy diet. There's some nutrient considerations though, calcium, vitamin B, B12 um, and vitamin D can some by, be an issue, um, and then uh, iron as well, uh, zinc. So it is good if somebody is vegan, it is good to see a dietitian to make sure that you are getting those nutrients, and then making sure you're getting enough protein too, because um, you don't have as many protein choices um, when you go that route, so you wanna make sure you get enough protein like through tofu, legumes, lentils, um, if you're not having animal-based protein choices. Is that? It can be healthy though, if it's done right. Yeah. My name is Charlie Luca. Uh, regarding 100% whole wheat, mm -hmm. um, I'm wondering just how 100% that is. Uh, our folks, I remember years ago, used to grind some wheat uh, themselves and make a, they've made a, a whole wheat uh, a loaf of bread out of that. But it was very heavy, didn't rise very much, and dark, and very tasty. Mm -hmm. But uh, that's not the way 100% whole wheat flour really looks. So I was wondering if it's really 100%. And secondly, do they really have to grind that flour so fine? It must cost quite a bit more. Apparently that goes through a silk screen and extremely fine. Uh, I was wondering if that's necessary and does it cost quite a bit more? Yeah, I've heard that. You know, I actually have to compare that. I've heard that, that sometimes it can cost more. It's a good question. You actually should look for 100% whole grain, whole wheat. I should have added that actually when I was talking. 
So the whole grain is really important. So you get more of the, the whole grain, basically. So the nutrient components of the whole grain, like the endosperm, the vitamin E from the whole grain. So they're actually putting more of an emphasis on that. But I should compare the price. Often I do see that white bread is cheaper than whole grain. But I think if you shop around, the prices should be comparable. But, but uh, do you think that uh, when they say it's 100% whole wheat, really, is it really 100% oh. whole wheat, well, I wonder? Yeah, so check on the label. So I know sometimes it looks deceiving. If it says 100%, it is. But check the label. So the first ingredient should be whole wheat or ideally whole grain. So look for that in your first ingredient, and that'll be on the package. His comment was, I doubted. <laughs> so he walked away. Uh, uh, my name's Mary Shillington. Uh, thanks for your talk, Heather. Um, we have MSG issues in our family, so I'll tell you, I read labels. And, and I'm wondering, it seems to me that the preservatives and chemicals that are going into our food are huge amounts. And so I just wanted your reaction to that. Yeah, it's a good question. There's quite a few. That could be a topic of its own. Uh, yeah, um, but that's why we have food labels. So um, some of them, you know, we 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 do need them to keep the shelf life, you know, intact. Um, but it depends on what it is, and some preservatives uh, are needed for food supply. But um, yeah, it, it's a good question. But that's why I think that they're calling on Canadians to make their own foods. Yes. too and cooking more of their own foods from scratch so that's a big emphasis on this new food guide well if it, unless you do there's a lot of things you can't eat and mm -hmm. then the natural msgs as well but i'm wondering if the rest those of us who don't know we have msg issues wouldn't be healthier if we didn't eat some of that stuff uh, it depends on some people are more sensitive than others too so it depends on the person thanks uh, Carol Sakia, thank you very much for coming. A uh, question about butter versus margarine and whether in baking or you know on a bun or toast, if that makes a difference uh, from your perspective. Um, and a comment on stevia, the sweetener. Okay. Yeah, so good question. We always get that, um, butter versus margarine. Um, so, um, a non-hydrogenated margarine, but we don't have that issue now that they've gotten rid of the trans fat. That used to be an issue um, in Canada. But a non-hydrogenated margarine with a healthier fat, like the fats that I listed, so a canola, um, sunflower, safflower oil, olive oil, um, those would be better choices than butter. Butter is a saturated fat. Um, it does increase your risk of heart disease, even though you might see on Facebook or internet the other uh, side of that, um, it's quite widespread. But you know, if somebody does like butter, some things that dietitians do recommend is have less of it and don't use it very often. You know, if there's a certain recipe that you use and butter works better, just don't have it very often. But it isn't a healthy choice, even though you'll see a lot of information out there saying otherwise. Uh, the best choice is actually using more of a cooking oil. Um, that's more liquid at room temperature, that's healthier for your heart um, as well. So if you can use a cooking oil and less of it, you still wanna watch how much fat. We wanna focus on healthier fats, so fats from our fish, the omega-3s, um, olive oil would be a healthier fat, but getting it from the whole food actually is more ideal. 
um, than just adding it to your food, but cooking with olive oil, canola oil, using canola in your baking rather than butter is healthier, healthier for your heart. <laughs> you might read otherwise, but it's not true. Don't believe them. <laughs> And Stevia, thanks. Yeah, so, um, you know, generally uh, in our Alberta Nutrition Guidelines, we don't re recommend uh, sugar sweeteners for 18 and under. Um, they just don't know the effects of it. But for someone with diabetes and they do like sweets, um, you know, it is a natural option uh, for them to use too. Um, ideally though, it's better to get your taste buds used to less sweet foods, because we find even with the sugar sweetened um, using an artificial sweetener, people don't lose that taste for sweet foods. And you really can change your taste buds to like less sweet foods. Same with salt too. You reduce your salt and you change your taste buds so you don't like that salty taste in food. So the same is true with uh, using sugar sweeteners. So ideally just having unsweetened. And I think the emphasis like on our yogurts being unsweetened now too. Um, with the new food guide, um, they're really trying to send consumers in that direction not to have sugar or sugar sweeteners added. Is that an answer? Hi, I'm Dave Major, and uh, I know I have a question in here somewhere, but um, I need to tell you that I, I, I'm a, an Aggie from 50 years ago and so my single stomach and ruminant nutrition courses, which we had a lot of, gave a much different view of nutrition than what I hear on the TV and from nutritionists. And uh, one of your comments prompted me to get up to say that like you were commenting that you, that in the past, alcohol wasn't consumed in very much big quantities. Mm. But actually, when you think about evolution of food, particularly in northern countries like Canada, we evolved, uh, what we ate evolved as what we could store. So we, there was no good potable water, so people made beer. If you had a good beer, you knew it was, <laughs> it was clean. We made wine because that was the only way we could preserve grapes. And Virtually all of our diet, like um, in the northern countries, it was heavy on the dairy because that's what we could preserve. It's easier to milk a cow. Uh, it's alive, so you can get fresh milk. Mm -hmm. So I wonder how the nutritionists take this into consideration because nowadays I find breaking down foods into little pieces like protein or carbs just, and, and everybody coming up with a magic diet to lose weight, when the basic thing ought to be just eat every kind of whole food that you can find in moderate proportion and don't eat any highly processed food. Mm -hmm. So my question is, how are nutritionists being trained in this respect? Like, do you study the evolution of, uh, of foods? Well, That's, I guess that'll be my question. <laughs> yeah, they do look at the history, and the history depends on... <laughs> yeah. I think you look back, a lot of people used to have gardens, and they used to rely on their gardens, but now you look at, there's dual-income families, we have less land um, to be able to garden, but a lot of people would process their own food and can their own food. 
But my comment about alcohol, we used to have government restrictions on alcohol. So once it was a certain time on Fridays, uh, or they were never open on a Sunday, there's such easy access to alcohol and we've seen an increase in alcohol use and alcohol abuse um, at rates that are much higher than what they used to be. And so my message was in moderation, but we're seeing big problems here with alcohol use. So I think that they've uh, really uh, put more emphasis on it. They're high in calories, they're damaging to your liver. We're seeing cirrhosis. Um, so there's uh, not good side effects from having too much. So it's all about a balance too. Um, and the food guide hasn't taken out um, milk. It's still an important component of the diet. It's in that protein group too. And they are emphasizing the whole diet. They aren't bringing it into components. I think that's what they've tried to do with the healthy plate um, component. Um, so, and you know, going through the history of the food guide too, it was based on our food supply. The recommendations were based on the Canadians at that time, their nutritional status. So that's all taken into account. But we do have more of a multicultural population now. So they're trying to include um, different cultures that we see in Canada. So there are more vegetarian type of um, cultures here. And if you look at the East Indian population, a lot of those populations have been eating a plant-based diet with plant-based proteins for centuries. And we do have those larger populations now in Canada. So the new food guide is um, adapted and changed to base on our current population. So, and you'll see different variations too based on our Canadian food supply and our Canadian population in future revisions too. Does that answer your question? <laughs> okay. Hi, my name is Laurie Schultz. Thank you very much for your presentation today. My question is around frozen foods and whether or not there's a loss of nutrition in frozen foods. And I note this for seniors or people who <clears throat> perhaps are just purchasing food for for one or two people and uh, like spinach for in instance <clears throat> um, you know buying the frozen pellets uh, as opposed to you know wasting a bag of, of spinach so is um, is it the nutrition does it deteriorate uh, with frozen products like that yeah, a good question. Actually, frozen, you can get more nutrients sometimes in your frozen products because they're usually picked right off the crop and frozen fairly soon after they were harvested. And the freezing um, will maintain those nutrients. So sometimes you get better nutrition from your frozen products than you would from uh, a shelf um, fresh product. It depends on the season, too, when you're buying it. Sometimes frozen can be a really excellent option and a better option. Hi, my name is uh, Knut yeah. Peterson. Are you going to grill me, Knut? No. <laughs> Thank you very much for coming and fighting off your flu to come and speak. Uh, just a quick comment about potatoes. <laughs> uh, I've heard for years and years that if you peel a potato, it's pretty, like a pretty thick peel, you take almost uh, half the nutrients out of a potato. Can you confirm that? Yeah, a lot of your nutrients are in the peel and the fibers in the peel, so it's good to keep the peel on the potato. And potatoes are a great source of potassium, vitamin C. Uh, they're a great choice. It depends on how you cook them. <laughs> Don't deep fry them. <laughs> yeah, there you go. We had unpeeled potatoes today. 
They were excellent too. Uh, my, my other question relates to gluten-free. It's, uh, to me, it almost has become a bit of a fad. Can you give us uh, facts on gluten-free, what, uh, what that involves? Uh, a lot of people are asking for gluten-free, and they probably don't need to, but uh, can you put us straight on that? Yeah, there is kind of, I, I'm seeing sort of this perception that it's a healthier choice. It's great for people with celiac disease. I know when I first started out as being a dietitian 25 years ago and seeing people with celiac disease, there wasn't many options for them for gluten-free. So it's actually nice that the market has really opened up to a lot more choices for those people with celiac disease uh, to have those gluten-free choices. But um, uh, there are people with wheat sensitivities too, so that can be a factor. Um, but yeah, I haven't actually looked at the data who is actually <laughs> really needing the gluten-free products too. So um, yeah, that's a good question. But it is great for people with celiac disease. And I think celiac disease is more common than people realize. Some people have it for years without even knowing. They go through all the symptoms just thinking that they're normal symptoms and they're not normal symptoms. So, Mary Shillington again. I heard something on CBC the other day that surprised me, and that was that newborn babies, the taste buds that are most sensitive, or are, are, are very sensitive anyway, is for sugar, and that they want sugar. And I wonder if you agree with that. Yeah, actually they've done research. It's sort of natural for wanting the sugar, but you, it makes sense. There's lactose in milk. That's one of the first foods that babies will get. Breast milk has lactose and that's a sugar, it's a naturally occurring sugar. So, and they do have really strong taste buds. That's usually why, but they have a lot more taste buds on their tongue. Uh, as we get older, we start to lose those taste buds on our tongue. So we tend to like things more flavorful and spicy, but uh, that's the reason why a lot of times children like things more bland um, because they have such strong taste buds, but there is research to prove that they do like sugar. It's sort of a natural desire. But it, it was made, you know, to help us survive, too. We do need sugar for energy. We need it for brain function. Uh, we need it to perform. You know, we do need sugar in our diet. So um, natural sugar, though, is the best way to get it. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. Next question. I was just wondering if, if people from the food, Canada Food Guide were monitoring what's in our so-called um, uh, real meats that there's putting, you know, substitutions. And so what gives it the flavor and, yeah. Uh, are you mean those new, uh, the new real meats? What do you mean by, sorry, I'm not sure what you mean by real meats. Uh, fake. Oh, okay, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, yeah, I don't know if Health Canada, I mean, they have the, the they, make sure that our food is safe so they regulate that piece of it but that's probably more uh, of a marketing consumers are demanding more of that product too so i think that's why we're seeing more of those products on the market in the grocery store and in the restaurants too a lot of that is consumer driven but they do regulate our food to make sure our food is safe if that's your question well, yeah, you know what? Dietitians kind of, when you look at some of those products, they can be higher in saturated fat and sodium, so I don't know that they're always healthier, but I think uh, one of my interns, I have two interns now, but the, I had another intern. Her point was, she said, well, it's not really for us. It's really more for that environmental factor of reducing um, 
meat consumption and having more plant-based proteins. So, yeah. uh, this will be our last question. Uh, Charlie Luca here again. Uh, microwave food, any negatives? Well, microwaving can retain a lot of your nutrients. It can, uh, you know, in our fast-paced culture too, um, it's better, you know, if you can steam your vegetables and fruits, you have more nutrients, you know, time-wise, but uh, they can be convenient. So, yeah, you still maintain a lot of nutrients. Why is it better steaming? Steaming will maintain more of your nutrients. Uh, they're fairly comparable, but steaming tends to be one that we would recommend to maintain more of your nutrients. All right. Well, we are at 1.30. <laughs> Thanks. That was a lot there's, of questions. Yeah, there's a lot of questions. I know I'm kind of bummed. I'm like, oh, because if, if there's no questions, the moderator gets to ask questions, and I have questions. I feel like so we we'll need a dietitian to... hotline. <laughs> Uh, so thank you, Heather, for your time today. Um, I'm sure you'll be around a little bit longer if people have, I know sure. I've got at least one pressing question that I'll talk to you about. Um, but before we go, um, I just want to invite you to formulate a take question for people to consider um, as, as they continue about um, reflecting on your talk today. Mm -hmm. So probably the biggest thing, and I think, you know, being in Alberta, and I was mentioning at our table, I was raised with meat and potatoes every day, every day, meat and potatoes. Or my mom's here, so sorry, she's quivering here. <laughs> but I think take home message, my dad, it's my dad, okay. We'll blame him, he's gone, so he can't defend himself. Um, so take home question, uh, trying to really think about how you will try to get more plant-based proteins in your diet, because I don't think in Alberta typically we do have a lot of plant-based proteins in our diet so really that's your take-home message to try to uh, include more of those in your diet awesome thank you very much Thanks.